0: from Mark the fourth chapter we read starting with verse 35 that day when evening came he said to his disciples let us go over to the other side leaving the crowd behind they took him along, just as he was in the boat there was also other boats with him And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him?
1: This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks for reading, Ray. And you may be seated. Ray, I tell you what, as I, uh, when I grow up, I want a voice like yours. I am so glad, Um, again, thank you for so many in our service who work to pull all of this off. Another crew I want to thank this morning, and just would ask if you would publicly thank them with me, is our tech crew back here, so can we thank them? They uh, what you don't know is that yesterday they were here at 8am trying to learn some of our systems and so they just... Tell you what, they love you so dearly. They don't want anybody else to know that, but I just want to tell you because that's strange, all right? So that's something God, God's doing in them, all right? So I, it, I they wouldn't stick around if I asked that every Saturday morning, but nonetheless, I'm just very grateful for you. Katie's shaking her head no. So, um, again, if you would keep your Bible open. Um, we love God's word. It's what we need. Uh, it's not You don't need two cents from, from Evan. You don't need a TED Talk. We need God's word. And I want to thank you, before we dive into it today, um, with uh, last month, uh, last week I should say, um, with your just generous gift to our family for pastor appreciation. It really just uh, was astonishing to us. We feel so very loved by you. Thank you. I love being your pastor. I'm surprised you called a 30, I think I was 30 years old at the time, your old pastor. I think many of you thought I was 15 um, I, uh, but I, God has done some amazing things these past few years, and I'm just, I hope he has us here for, well, as long as you'll have us. So um, we're going to get right to work. If you are new to our church, uh, we love being, uh, keeping our nose in the Bible. We want to make sure that anything I'm saying is something that God would have me say. I'm constrained by it. It rules me too. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Now, uh, again, one more time, I just thank you, Berberix, for being here. I, I don't know uh, if, any, if I, uh, many people would have returned a phone call from me at 2 p.m. on a Saturday, but you did, and uh, I need worship more than ever, I think, this morning, and so I'm just very grateful for you and your family to be here. Um, now, some of us, I realize, coming into this place, you know, our lives might be pretty, pretty stable. I mean, it's 2020, so that's probably ridiculous to assume, I think, Most of us, though, I think a majority of us, we come in our lives, we feel a little bit battered about. Anybody there this morning feel a little bit battered about? You know, it may be friendships in your life that are starting to pull apart. It could be marriage or kids, things that's going on in a home front that you're not sure what to deal with, or the tensions that you were already facing in this season have just seemed to get much, much worse it could be fear over the upcoming election, or anxiety over your finances, or anger at headlines that you have no idea how to process. A variety of circumstances might, we might be facing this morning, but in many ways, I think the storm we read about here it feels personal to us. You might be just hearing the storm clouds thundering in the distance right now, or the winds may be ripping the roof off of your house. But it's only a matter of time before all of us, and I mean all of us, find our lives spinning, trying to catch our bearings, and wondering where God is in the midst of it all. It's only a matter of time before we are left with the disciples asking God, God, do you even care? Now, if you're facing a storm this morning, or not, regardless, I think that this passage has comfort for us, real assurance for us. and tell you what, if you are not a Christian, I'm especially glad for you to hear what this text has to say, because you get to see why Christians, why they put their confidence in Christ in crazy times, at least what should characterize a Christian, what should set them apart, and what we are aspiring to, even as a church, what unites us. Again, we, um, God wants to give us some concrete assurance that we desperately need to hear, some things that we desperately need to see, in fact, that our storms are exposing. In fact, we're going to look today at our passage in three different parts, and three things that I think storms expose in our lives. Number one is that storms expose our weakness. Number two, storms expose our fears. And number three, storms expose our Savior. Storms, storms expose our weakness, storms expose our fears, and storms expose our Savior. Now, if you're a note-taker, and I'm a note-taker, uh, you're not going to see slides probably come on your screen today because of my, uh, my, it's my fault. I took, the, took a hit on that, so I will help you as you go along. So some of us who are OCD and you miss a blank, come talk to me, all right? So, but nonetheless, I, we are going to be, uh, again, looking in three parts. Storms expose our weakness. Now, have you ever been caught in the middle of a, of a, of a storm, a really bad storm? Anybody grew up with really bad storms? So um, I'm not talking the kind of storm that you sit on your porch and you listen to the pitter-patter of the rain and you smell the beautiful evening. I'm talking the kind of storms that make you really, really nervous. The kind of storm that makes your hair stand up. So I, I didn't really grow up with these kind of storms. Now, for some of us, storms, even tornadoes and hurricanes, uh, are just a yearly season for us. And that's really weird for me, this, you know, I have to say tornado season. You know, seasons are for springtime and 4th of July and for pumpkin spice lattes. Seasons are not for tornadoes, okay? So, but nonetheless, some of you are used to this. I am not. We've had to get used to uh, storms, though, now being in Missouri and on road trips, particularly back and forth to see our family. And it was uh, last year, I think, that we were driving through Kansas on the way to see my family. And we could tell um, as, the, uh, as the later we were getting, the clouds were darkening the sky. A storm was coming and, you know, it started to rain even a little bit while we were going, but it was nothing crazy this, at this point. Nonetheless, I decided to, for the next few hours, to get us through it. I was going to pull over to the gas station, fill up, and then really get at it. You know, I mean, I, I figured, you know what, I've got this, I, the road trip has gone on long enough for my kiddos. They're already discontent, we don't need a storm slowing us down. And so I, in this gas station, as I'm filling up, though, I I noticed uh, people were starting to gather inside of the gas station instead of in their cars, and still I was almost done with filling up, and I figured, you know, I'm an experienced driver, I'm going to be fine, and then the sirens started at the gas station, and soon enough, I found me and our kiddos jammed into a gas station bathroom, shoulder to shoulder with semi-truck drivers as what sounded like a freight train passed by the gas station and over the section of highway we were just just on. Anybody been in a circumstance like that? So I've never experienced a tornado before, and still, it took us a little bit of time to recover. But this is nothing like the storm that is described in our passage. You know, in Mark chapter 4, we find Jesus setting out with his disciples after what we could describe as a long day at the office. A long day of teaching. Sailing across the Sea of Galilee uh, with, uh, in a, uh, with his disciples in a mid-sized fishing boat. We've actually found boats like this buried in the sediment of the Sea of Galilee and from this time. Um, they're, it's probably about 26 feet long and about 7 feet wide. It could fit up to about 15 people. You had spaces on the front and the back for uh, you to sit or perhaps sleep. Um, on the uh, the aft or the stern, for those of you who are, I'm not a fisherman, so hopefully I got that right. But nonetheless, where you could lay down, and this is where Jesus would have slept, is on the back uh, side of this boat. And it was evening already by the time they set it out. Set, set out, but depending on if the wind cooperated, and with four of them probably rowing at a time, it would just take a few hours to get across this sea. After all, their teacher had insisted that they had to go to new territory, even if it was in the late evening. And now, have you ever been so tired you can't even stand? Like I think of many of our uh, many people here who are nurses, or if you are working—I uh, I know uh, Chris, you work in uh, in the grocery store too. Some days that you're just feeling like you can't make it one more minute. So sometimes I I, I think we forget that Jesus was human. And it seemed that as the sky darkened, that Jesus collapsed from exhaustion on a cushion on the back deck, rocked to sleep by the waves. Now we don't know how long that Jesus was asleep. Perhaps the sun had already set, but the sky, even as it grew dark, would get even darker from what every Galilean, Galilean seaman would have feared, storm clouds. Even today, the Sea of Galilee is famous for its storms. The cold drafts of Mount Hermon, mixed with the warm air of the Sea of Galilee, 700 feet below sea level, uh, produces windstorms so violent that even local fishermen today, they refer to them as sharkia. It's Arabic for Shark. They call the storm a shark because of how violent it can be to those who are on the water at the time. The storm, like this one, is terrifying enough if you're watching it from land, but they are trapped on a boiling sea as massive swells of cold water begin splashing into the boat. One of my greatest fears is drowning. I remember as a kid, thinking about and dr- it sounds like really dark right so but it would really keep me up at night like that was some that was something i feared is a death by drowning this right here a whipping storm in the dead of night trapped on a sinking ship this is literally my worst nightmare of course among these disciples would be several experienced fishermen and yet how helpful are their skills right now several of these men have spent their life on the sea And yet, how in control do you think they feel? The thing is, storms can have the same effect on our lives, can't they? I don't mean just literal storms. One moment our lives can be reasonably content. We can feel a little bit puffed up in our sense of control. Think about how much time and money go into bringing about stability in our lives. How much we pour into just getting stable, being safe and secure. But then a loss, a failure, an illness, or a betrayal reveal how fragile our lives are, don't they? Have you experienced any of these lately? I think we as a society have experienced storms on many fronts. And even as a pandemic and the racial tensions in our city and the political firestorm has affected, I mean, me, has affected our family. I think of how much more these days have affected the most helpless, the most vulnerable in our city. What makes these storms so terrifying is that they take the things that we depend upon, the things that we take for granted, and they reveal to us just how weak and vulnerable we are, that we are weak and vulnerable creatures, that we are not quite in such control over our lives as we've imagined. And we're trying to get our bearings, it can feel like, in the midst of a buckling sea. I imagine this is how the believers first reading this book would have felt, as it was written to Christians, likely in the city of Rome, at a time in which they were facing the intense persecution of the emperor Nero. Many of their Jewish friends and family had long since given up on Christianity and kicked them out as a result, and now the government had begun to turn up its heat on them. Their new faith in Jesus, for many, would seem to bring only more suffering with it. And for many, it seemed like that storm might never let up. Storms expose our weakness. But storms also expose our fears, don't they? After all, so when you face weakness in your life, when a storm begins to cloud the horizon— you know, I think about even in literal storms. What do we do when that fear begins to set in? If you're anything like me, when storms come, you respond with a mixture of fear and frenzy. The initial, there's the initial stomach drop of panic, of course, or the increasing sense of dread. But then what do we do next? What do you do next? Some of us, we try to hide from it. It could be through Hulu or social media something more dangerous, perhaps, like alcohol or drugs. Some of us, we become furious planners. The stress seems to focus our minds. In fact, as things begin to turn up in their intensity, we work harder. We work faster. We try to beat the storm out to keep ourselves above the water by any means necessary. Others of us pretend as if Everything's going to be fine. If we can just have a positive attitude, uh, maybe it won't be as bad as everyone says it will be. And some of us, we just try to find somebody to blame. We want to know whose fault it is. We want to make sure that they pay for it, that they know what they've caused us. However we respond, each of these responses, in a sense, is part of a, what you might call a massive self-salvation project. We, like the disciples, we start bailing water in our lives. Every man, every woman for themselves, trying to, by whatever means necessary, save their own life. It's only a matter of time, especially if this storm does not let up, that our fear and our frenzy reveal something else. reveal, Reveal fears underneath the fears for our circumstances. After all, did you notice verse 38? In the midst of all of this, the disciples, all fighting for their lives, notice that Jesus is still sleeping. And they react how we might have. A teacher, do do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus, do you not care that we're going to drown here? Grab a bucket. This is just how a frustrated and desperate person sounds, doesn't it? And you just think about when you get really frustrated, do you snap at like, like this? This just sounds like me. We're all bailing water, especially in the midst of storms. We've prayed to God for help, and where is he? Is he asleep? Does he care of what I'm, what I'm going through? Grace and I were watching a show this week, and one of the main characters in this show uh, stumbled into a uh, hospital chapel. You see, he had just been forced, in this circumstance, from a delivery room where his wife and children were fighting for their lives. And now he stood in this chapel, exasperated and angry at God. Struggling for the words to say, he points a finger at God and says, don't you dare take them from me. Don't you dare. This is it's, it's ironic. This show is called This Is Us. I say uh, ironic because it, this is us. Don't you care? Don't you dare? You know, many of us are carrying this same anger and cynicism towards God, even many of us who consider ourselves religious. It just takes a storm to reveal it. Let me ask you, where does this kind of fear come from? At some level, It's right and good to feel the weight of our circumstances, for them even to drive us to sorrow. After all, isn't this what Jesus experienced as he mourned the death of Lazarus, his friend, or anticipated his upcoming death? Christianity, unlike something like Buddhism, doesn't require us to be passive, unmoved by our difficulties and the unpredictability of our lives. Sometimes it is right to feel nervous right to feel distressed, sometimes even disheartened, because the stakes are really high, and the loss is very, very real. But Jesus seems surprised at their fear. In fact, he rebukes them for their fear. Why? Because this kind of fear, whether it surfaces in the disciples or within us, it believes, it comes from a place where it, it it's, be- it's fearing something deeper. It's believing one of three lives. One, God is not able. Two, God is not aware. Or three, God just does not care. When we experience this kind of fear, this kind of fear sends us into frenzy. It is so often because... We are convinced at a heart level that God is either not able to help, not aware of what I actually need, or does not care enough to intervene, and it is on us to do something about it. I mean, ask yourself, when fear takes over your heart and, my, and your imagination, or mine, when I feel the frantic pressure to protect my own reputation, to protect my own comfort, my sense of power or control, what is it that I'm actually afraid of? Is it really about these circumstances or do I fear something even deeper when it comes to it that God, he can't or he won't show up? Storms expose our fears. But most importantly, number three, storms expose our Savior. I don't know about you, but the first thing I lose When I am overwhelmed in fear, is lots and lots of sleep. It doesn't matter what I try. 3 a.m. and I are not friends often, especially in times of great stress. It feels like we're arch enemies. How is it then that Jesus is able to sleep in the middle of a storm? We'll look at the miracle in just a second when he calms this storm, but I first want to consider his sleep. After all, if he really is God, as the Bible would claim, fully God and fully man, then doesn't he know the storm that is about to take place? Doesn't he know that he can drown just like his other disciples? Doesn't he at least know the panic he is about to cause them? I think there are three reasons, actually, why Jesus sleeps. In fact, and I think each of these reasons reveal something really important about Jesus. Why does Jesus sleep? Well, first, this should be just straightforward to us because he needed to. Think about it. Mark has described again this long day at the office, and I can say from personal experience that teaching is exhausting, let alone under the heat of a Middle Eastern sun. Who knows what he had to eat that day, if he's ever caught a break from the crowds at all. And you know that, as well as I do, we can only push our bodies so far before they collapse, especially the older that we get. Even as Jesus is fully God, Jesus' sleep reminds us that he is fully man. But this also reminds us that he had willingly become a man, if the Bible's claims are true. A a man who, uh, sorry, it was the Son of God, willingly subjected himself to weakness, as Philippians 2 said, that he took the form of a servant. What do we celebrate every Christmas, after all, if you're a Christian? That the Son of God, out of great love, became a man. A man who would get hungry, a man who would get thirsty, and a man who would get tired. Hebrews 2 tells us in verse 14, since therefore the children of God, I mean sorry, since Therefore the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things. The author adds in verse 16, speaking of Jesus, he had to be made like his brothers, and we say sisters as well, in every respect. Let me put this in different words. In order to save us, the Bible will claim that Jesus became like us. So, we, when we see Jesus, we don't experience a Savior who is aloof from our circumstances, who does not know what it is like to walk in our shoes. We understand a Savior who gets us. In many ways, you could say that this Savior is like us. What possible suffering or anxiety, the Bible will claim, could you face that he does not understand? But the second reason That Jesus sleeps is because he could. It's because he needed to and because he could. Even though we need to say that Jesus in many ways is like us. He became flesh and blood. In many ways he is, in many other ways and more important ways, he's not like us. Jesus is able to sleep because he is not afraid. He knows his God He knows his God's power, his knowledge, and his compassion. It reminds me of the psalmist's words in Psalm chapter 4, where David says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The context of this is David is experiencing right now fearing the coming enemy, that there are people on a manhunt for him, that he fears it for his own life, and yet what does he say? In the midst of his enemies, the Lord provides enough peace that he can sleep knowing his God. The psalmist is able to sleep like Jesus in the midst of the storms because he knows and believes, regardless of his circumstances, God is for him, and God can be trusted. I don't know about you, but I want to know what that's like. Just being vulnerable with you, that's not a common experience for me. Jesus had the inner rest that we so rarely have. A rest produced by the deepest dependence and the most concrete trust in his Father. A Father who, too, is not panicked by our storms. A Father who doesn't waste a moment in fear over the future. It belongs to him. Even as our world so often catches us by surprise, it never catches him off guard. This father knows and sees all, and nothing can stand in the way of his purposes. But there is a third, and perhaps even more important, reason that Jesus can sleep. Because he must. Now, what do I mean he must? Well, it has to do with what Jesus' mission is. According to the Bible, Jesus' mission isn't simply to improve our circumstances. It was, more importantly, to reveal God to us and his saving purposes to humanity. In other words, Jesus allows the storm to grow in its intensity. He allows the disciples to panic. He allows them even to come to the end of themselves all while he is sleeping so that he might reveal himself finally as the son of God in power. Jesus sleeps so that his disciples might get a peek behind the curtain, if you will, and see not just Jesus in the flesh, but God in the flesh with power beyond comparison. All this awareness makes them tremble even more than the storm does. They are more afraid of this man who is in front of them than the storm that they've literally been fighting for their life in. In front of them stands no mere creature. In front of them stands the creator God, By his word, the very seas that were raging against them were made. And by his same word, those waters are now stilled. If we pay attention here, there's something going on even more significant than the calming of a single storm. It's as if Jesus even now is giving them a hint of what he is claiming will soon be true everywhere. That the kingdom he would bring would soon subdue every single Enemy that every storm would still, a world of peace is the one he claims to bring. Lives of peace are coming under His reign. A life of peace. So many of us are, feels like a pipe dream for us. The thing is, is it will only come as Jesus would face another storm. In some ways, Jesus is preparing his disciples in the coming of this storm for a storm that is yet to come. A day, which the Bible tells us, in which the, the skies would again grow dark. As Jesus faces his own death, taking his final breaths on a Roman cross, suffocating under the full wrath of God, Jesus would be overcome by the greatest storm. Not because he is unable to save, but because he is able to save. Jesus would endure the very storm that our own sin whipped up, according to the Bible, so that you and I would never have to fear that storm ourselves. He went to his death that we, even as enemies of God, might have final Enduring peace. Friends, in Jesus' death and in his resurrection, we receive a final answer to our fears. There's a reason Christians don't ever graduate from the gospel, especially in the storms of their life, in the sufferings of their life, in the unanswered questions. Why is it that they cling to this this event that took place 2,000 years ago? Because in the gospel, we receive the greatest assurance we could ask for that answers our fears, that God indeed does care That God is aware, and God is able to save. This reassurance we need when our storms hit. Because our greatest need is not our circumstantial safety and security. Our greatest need is to behold what our storms may have hidden, but is no less true than when the storm clouds first began to gather. In the midst of our storms, we need to behold Jesus Christ the only one who really understands, the only one powerful enough to really save, the only one who promises to work for his glory and our good, even in the midst of the storm itself. Let me ask, how how should this inform how we talk to God, after all? In the face of overwhelming odds, certainly we can and should pray for our rescue, for God's provision, for wisdom, for God to intervene and show himself. But more importantly... What we need is not just circumstantial safety or security. Do we pray that God's glory would be seen by any means necessary and that our faith would deepen? After all, sometimes God does not still the storm. Sometimes the storm does not let up. It did in this case, but sometimes the night might even get worse. Only the gospel can reassure us, friends, that the story is not over yet. The greatest storm has been stilled, and when that miracle is set before our eyes, like Jesus, you know what you were able to do? You were able to rest in your God's character. Whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, let me implore you, will, seeing this Savior, will you give up on your self-salvation project that all of us are on? Will you bring your fears under the light of God's power and grace This Savior entered our storms. This Savior is not panicked by our storms. This Savior stilled an even greater storm. And only this Savior can now make use of our storms. Will you turn in faith to him? Lord, we come to you as those who are all of us lacking in faith. (laughs) Even me, especially me. All of us are facing a variety of circumstances that feel too much for us. It feels like we couldn't take any more surprises in our lives. And yet, Lord, we we need in front of our eyes more than our knowledge of our own circumstances, more than the fury of the storm. We need to see Christ. We need to see Christ as the one who indeed does care. Has proved out of his compassion in deep compassion, that he would be for us. he would endure the loss of all things for our sake. We need to see that he is also, not just that he cares, but he is deeply aware. He knows what it's like to walk in our shoes, and he sees in our hearts the things that we've been avoiding, we've been keeping from ourselves our whole lives. And we need to see his power to help. For what greater enemy could be conquered than sin and death? And we know those soon will die under the mighty victorious feet of Jesus. Lord, we pray. I pray for those who, again, who are making sense of these things, who are wrestling with them, who just straight up disagree with them, that we would stick around. The word would have its effect, and as we're making sense of the the truth, and that we would see in this very community, those who are desperately fighting for this kind of dependent faith? Would you bind our church together in that kind of supernatural joy, that kind of supernatural courage and peace, even as the storms grow? And would we lean on another, one another when it's hard to believe that you do care? We pray all of these things for the glory, the sake of the name of Jesus Christ, which we know is always for our good. Amen.